All right, begin continuing Peter, but moving on to 2 Peter tonight. We finished 1 Peter. Levi did that. And he did a good job because it is not an easy book to teach. And he did uh, chapters 4 and 5. Did a good job on some difficult topics. And we come to the second epistle of Peter. Letter, of course, written by Peter. A little bit different than the first one. The first one, you remember, was sent to people who had been driven out of their homes and spread out all over Asia Minor, uh, trying to find a place to live and survive. And he wrote to those people about the trials and the suffering that they were going through. Now, it's a little bit more of a general letter. So, 2 Peter, chapter 1, begin at verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them who have obtained like precious faith with us, the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. He says, starts out, first thing he calls himself is a servant. Then he calls himself an apostle. I like that because that's what was first on his mind. First thing I am, he says, is a servant. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. I happen to be an apostle who happens to be an apostle. And he was uh, uniquely uh, an apostle. And part of what we're about to get into is uh, right, straight, direct in, uh, instruction from Jesus Christ. Take a look over at John, John's Gospel. Chapter number 21, the last chapter of John's Gospel. <coughs> chapter 21. And verse 14. Well, this is the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after that he was risen from the dead. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter... Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he said unto him, Feed my lambs. And you remember it was Peter, Simon Peter, who said before the crucifixion, The rest of these guys will probably fail you, but I will not. And so Jesus asked him, So, you love me more than the rest of these guys? <laughs> and he can't answer that. He has to say, you know I love you. He knows what Jesus is saying. He's saying, now before you were pretty cocky. How are you feeling now? Not so cocky anymore. So feed my lambs. It's verse 16, he saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And of course Jesus did that because he denied him three times. Peter said, I don't know that guy. I don't know who Jesus is. Never heard of him. And he did that three times. So he's going to ask him three times 
Uh, and he says he's grieved because he said to him the third time, lovest thou me? He said, thou, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, when thou was young, thou girdest thyself, walked whither thou would. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hand, and another shall gird thee and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Right, or so Jesus says to him, uh, the day will come. You, you used to do whatever you felt like. it. day will come when they will take you and make you do what you don't want to do. And they're going to force you to do that. And when he's, of course he's talking about it, they're going to kill him. They're going to kill Simon Peter uh, because of his fame, because of who he was. And, but uh, Jesus says very carefully to him, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. Take care of, take care of my people. The people of God, I want you to, your mission in life, Peter, is to take care of them. That's why he's going to write this book. Because he promised to take care of God's people. So he says, I'm a servant, I'm an apostle, and I'm talking to those that have obtained like precious faith. Or you and me, he's talking to anybody, not anybody in particular, but everybody who has the same, what he calls, precious faith. That is, you believe in Jesus to the point where there's an attachment to Jesus. There's a special attraction. It's a precious faith. There's something in, in it, he says, that ties you to Jesus. Now, he was tied to Jesus uniquely, of course, because he walked with him for three and a half years. You and I can be tied to Jesus, too, equally the same way he says, you have the same faith that I do. You believe in Jesus and uh, grace and peace be multiplied to you. All right, grace is something we don't deserve. And peace is something that everybody wants. Is there anybody that doesn't want peace? Everybody wants peace. And that comes from God. And Jesus said he'd give us peace that passes understanding. And you get it through the knowledge of God. You get to know God. Or know, in particular, Jesus. And we have, he says, a responsibility to know Jesus, to know who he is, to get so you understand him, so you understand how he works and how he thinks. And that's why I've spent the last 31 years or longer, uh, half of a year spent on the life of Jesus. Christmas and all the way up through Easter, we talk about the life of Jesus over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Because it is the most important thing in the Bible that you know him, you understand what he's like, what he thinks, how he behaves. And so it's essential, says, that we get to know Jesus 
very well. And you say, well, uh, I can just read about him. No, you can talk to him, too. <laughs> and talking to him, uh, you get to know him, too, just like anybody else. Talk to Jesus, you get to know him. You'll understand. You'll sense when he's near. You'll get the things that he wants. So, here's a Peter. He says, you and I share this faith. We have this connection to Jesus. It's a special connection. All right, here's why. Verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. So, he said, God has given you things and it's pertains to life, he says, and it pertains to godliness. Godliness. <clears throat> so he says, there's a, Jesus wants to flow life into us. That's a hard concept for people to get used to. But Jesus wants to flow life into us. He says there is an, an internal uh, energy and a spiritual energy that he wants to put inside of us. That energy, when he puts it in us, it means we can live the kind of a life that's a godly life. Right? So he gives us eternal Life puts it inside of us, and then there's an outcome of it is godliness. So we're going to live a good life. That's what he's saying. You want to live a good life? I want to live a good life. I certainly don't want to live a bad life. I want to live a good life. I want to live a life that has value, that's important. And so <coughs> he says, he's going to. Give us the things you need to live a good life. Does that mean everything's going to be perfect? No. The guys on the TV that are telling you, he's going to bless you and you're going to get a check in the mail, don't pay attention to those guys. They're barking up the wrong tree. The kind of life he wants to give us is much more substantial than a check in the mail. All right? And so he's giving us the ability to live a very good life. And verse 4, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. So, Jesus himself made promises to us. I think that of all the things in the Bible that I read that just capture my imagination, those promises that came right out of the mouth of Jesus, he said them, those promises are the best ones. He calls them exceeding great and precious. Uh, he made these promises to you and I. And he says, you want to live a good life? Well, here's what he promised 
to do. Now, he doesn't make a list of them here, but it's easy enough to make a list. I made a list of 10 or 11 here, and it only takes a second because they come one after the other after the other. When you read the red letter edition of your Bible, then you'll see them there popping up all over the place. Jesus said, here's what I promise. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. There's a better life available. He promised that. Jesus promised that. Jesus said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come and take you unto myself, and where I am, you can be too. So we have a promise of a special place in heaven made just for you and I. A special house, a place where he's preparing for us. That makes me a whole lot less afraid to die, I'll tell you. He's got a place saved for me. Let's go. It's better than my house now, I'll bet you that. I can tell you that for sure. And I got another house behind mine where we're going to live someday. And it's a lot better than that one. And I remember when my father built that house, he said, well, it's the last one I'm going to live in here, and I'm going up to real house. Well, that's true. That's it. because of that promise. He said, whosoever believeth on me shall not perish, but have everlasting life. You put your faith in Jesus, you believe in him, what he does, you're going to live forever. Uh, who can offer that? Is there anybody that can offer you that? Nobody can offer that. So here's a promise. You're going to live forever. He said, if any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. There's something in life that you need and that you really want. Something that's a, a noble, good thing. He said, come. Come to me. I'll quench that thirst. In you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Man, I like that one. I mention that one regularly. <laughs> when you're under a load of work, when you're doing a lot of things, and Jesus said, You're tired? Come. Come to me. I can re energize you. I'll give you rest. That's a great thing. Who else offers that? I, I am come that my joy would remain in you, that your joy would be full. He says, so, would you like to have the joy that Jesus has? He said, I'm coming to you to put it inside of you. And when you get it in there, you're going to say, I got all I can hold. I'm full right to the top of joy. It's one of those promises. Here's one that we mentioned already. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. I'll tell you, there's nothing like it. Look at this world we live in where everybody's all tied up with fear. Everybody's afraid of everything now. Uh, and it's classic world behavior. Jesus said, oh, I can take that. I give you peace that passes understanding. You won't even be able to figure out why you feel that good. 
It won't make sense to you to feel that good. Uh, Whosoever shall lose his life for me, the same shall find it. They say, I'm going to do something for the Lord. Well, use yourself right up. Use all you can. Then you'll find out who you are. You'll find out what life is all about. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That nice to know there's somebody watching over you because you're I have a picture shows up on my computer every once in a while. I don't know where it all comes from. I just look at it and it's a whole bunch of sheep breaking through a wall and wandering away. (laughs) Every time I look at that, I say, there's people. They're people. Just like people. You got it made in the pasture and you're going to go through that wall and go the other way. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I'm here to get you safe. The first shall be last, Jesus said, and the last shall be first. There's another promise. All right, don't worry about being on the bottom of the totem pole. Don't worry about nobody noticing. He notices all of it. And he says, if you've been the last person in line all the time, I'll take care of it. I'll make sure that you get to be first. It's a good way to live your life. (coughs) I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus said. No man cometh to the Father but by me. So you want to get to God? Uh, Know God. You want to experience God? Come with me. I will take you there. I'll get you into God's presence. I'll help you understand. So Peter says, there's these promises, one after the other, your peace and your joy and your rest and your thirst and and your future and your life itself abundant. He said, I'm giving you all these promises. Jesus made all these promises, and uh, he is doing what? He says, you're given, verse 4, unto us exceeding great and precious promises that ye by these might be partakers of the divine nature. That's a hard one to say uh, because what God does to us is he invades our life, comes into our life and invades our life gets inside of us and he gets in there making it living and alive. He is a life-giving spirit. And so when Jesus gets a hold of us, uh, we can have his life, his energy, his spiritual energy inside of us. Or, here's the thing that ought to seal it. You can take life into yourself and feel the energy of knowing God. Or, he says, uh, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So he's offering us here two kind of lifestyles. This one over here, he says you've got this life that God puts in you, puts in you life and energy inside of you. On the other hand, there's another life over here that you live where you actually disintegrate. You're disintegrating. Your life disintegrates, falls apart, 
and it becomes nothing. It becomes dead inside. What one is that? It's what he says here. Uh, you've escaped corruption that's in the world through lust. So if you want to live a life of sin, do whatever you want to do, doesn't matter what you do, then your life is not going to grow and develop. It's going to shrink and disintegrate until there's nothing left of it. There's no energy, life inside. Those things don't exist. So we have, he's saying, you can live for God and grow. And you can develop and grow. Know Jesus and you can live, have a growing life and developing life or you can turn your back on God and watch your life disintegrate. Corruption, he said. It gets rotten and your life disintegrates and when you're all done with it, what is it? There's nothing. I've done a good many funerals where I've you know, do funerals for people outside of the church. A lot of times I hardly know them. And I think to myself, there's a whole lifetime that they lived and they didn't do anything useful. I remember one guy, he sat in his house and his wife told me he sat in his house for the last year and looked out the window until he died. Looking out at the woods until he died. I said, is that all he did? Yep. He sat in his house and looked out the window till he died. It was hard to talk about the fella because do something. You're dying. Do something. And I mean, I've had cases where <laughs> uh, I said to uh, family members, well, tell me about grandma. Oh, I hated her. <laughs> well, what do you think about grandma? All she ever did was cheat every time we played a game. And the last one, what do you think of grandma? Well, I'm not going to say. I mean, you live a whole lifetime. And your life disintegrates, falls apart. There's nothing left of it. What would you do? Didn't do anything. And so what he's warning us there is a lifestyle choice that you can make and your life is not going to build up and grow. It's going to shrink and disintegrate and turn into nothing. And that's if you want to grab a hold of sin, which is what he's saying here. There's sin in life. Now, he was told by Jesus, feed the sheep. Feed the lambs. Make sure the people know what to do and understand how to live this life. Now, he's told us a few things. He said there's all kinds of wonderful promises to encourage you along the way. There's an energy that comes from God into your life. You're going to live this life. Uh, let's use it. Let's use what we got. And he said, now I'm going to tell you your responsibility in this. And that's important because sometimes 
<coughs> people get the idea that I'm just going to sit here and God's going to pour it into me and I'll wait till he's done and I'll have it. And that's not the way the Bible explains it. The Bible says, yes, he's going to give you things. He's made these promises of joy and peace. But you have a responsibility to build this life up too. You don't just sit around and do nothing and say, hey, uh, Jesus, take away my sin and I'll just sit here and wait for everything to work out. No, 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 no. Peter says you're going to have to work on some of these things and he's going to give us a list of things that we are to work on. We're to add, he says, to certain things. So we have something we start with, we're going to add something to it and add something else, add and add and add and put these elements into our life by our own conscious choices. We're going to make choices to do this. So the Christian life isn't, uh, you know, him come to church Sunday, plug stuck my finger in a sock and get a shock and there I'm all set for the week. That ain't how it works. It works by <coughs> your attention to certain details that you need to have as part of your life. So this is really excellent advice. Peter is told by Jesus, make sure you feed them. Make sure they know what to do. And he's done a very good job in explaining this to us. And so what do we got? We got great promises. Oh, oh great. Sounds good. And uh, what do we got? Life coming into us. Energy coming into us. Okay, good. I like it. Now he says, your responsibility is to not just wander through life and bang your head on the wall when you get there. But to make these conscious choices and through those choices build your life the way it should be. So this is really an important passage because I think he gets right down to what it's all about. Where we start, where we go from there, where we need to end up. And these are choices we make in our life. So we go, verse 5, besides this, all right, these things that are God's going to do, but besides this, giving all diligence, right, this is your job to be diligent. You've got to work on this. Add to your faith virtue. So the first thing on the list is in this growing life that we have, first thing on the list is faith. So we start with faith. That's number one. Everybody's got to start there. Nobody can start any other place. We got to start believing in Jesus. We make a choice. We believe in Jesus. We've trusted him to forgive us. We believe in who he is. And that's a big part of what we do on a Sunday morning when we're talking about miracles that Jesus did. We believe in who he is, his abilities and who he actually was. God in the flesh came down and lived among men and walked among men. So we believe that. So we start by believing. That's faith. We believe it. We believe that if we ask him, he forgives us. 
And that's where we all have to start. You got to believe in Jesus, who he is, and that he rewards people who follow him. So we know that's true. So we can start with that. And that's a child can know that. I first accepted that when I was seven years old. I was at a little church down the road here. And uh, when I was seven years old, they said, anybody want to have Jesus in your heart, come up front. And I went up front. I got it done right there. <laughs> seven years old, all right? And that was the beginning. Child, children can believe just as well. And this is for you and I, grown-up people. we got to expect the place we restart is faith. You believe in Jesus first of all. Then he says, add to your faith virtue. Uh, virtue is a clean, a good life. And number two, he said, uh, you've got to get a clean, good life, virtuous life. Uh, clean up your life. I think that's the best way to put it. Clean up. Your life, that means we got bad habits, they gotta go. Bad habits, gotta go. We got bad language, it's gotta go. We gotta have these things gone. Sin of any kind has got to go. It's got to go. He says, you can't have a growing, developing life and say, but I'm gonna keep my bad habits. <laughs> it won't work that way. But he says, you've got to approach this saying to God, uh, hey, uh, I want to get rid of the things in my life that hinder me, that hold me down. I want to get rid of them. And uh, you say maybe, well, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know if I can do that. Uh, well, you got to work at it. <laughs> you got to work at it. I mean, some things that habits we have, uh, they're with you your whole life. They're with you your whole life. And you're going to have to, every time that the thing sticks its head up, no. No. And he says, in order for you to put together your life the way it should be, uh, you got. You can't just say, "Jesus, take away my sin." Here I go. No, you got to stop it yourself. <clears throat> and there's a lot of people that don't teach that. Peter's saying here, uh, "Yeah, you got to get your act together. You can't harbor bad habits and say, look, 'Look, I'm a growing Christian.'" So you got to add to faith, your basic belief, virtue. you got to get yourself, your life cleaned up. All right, now, next one. Um, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. There's the next thing, number three on the list, is knowledge. And of course, that's the knowledge of God, knowledge of Jesus, you got to gain that and get hold of that and, and get more and more of it. you got to spend a lifetime doing it. I had 
people come here. I remember one fellow came here and he said, I'm not really interested in church because I already know everything before you say it. I thought, man, I've been working on this for 30 years and I'm still learning. He's got it all figured out. Must be a genius. Well, he wasn't a genius. He just didn't want to learn. He didn't want to learn. It's essential that we learn and we spend time learning. In the 70s, when I was just young, starting out as a teacher, when I first started teaching back in the 70s, uh, that wasn't a good time because they had these authors writing books by the hundreds. And they'd hand you this book, teach this book, and I'd look at it as some sort of self-help book. I said, I'm not going to teach a self-help book. And they handed me another one. There's one on positive thinking. I'm not going to teach it. I refuse to teach it. And they'd have uh, a whole series. One guy did a whole series on birds <laughs> and how you could live like an eagle. And my father read, I gave it to him, he read it, and he goes, this guy's never seen an eagle, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Well, here's a whole series of books. One volume after another this guy wrote about it, he didn't know what he's talking about. Why are they no good? Because people, I remember in the 70s, people were coming to Jesus, they were believing in Jesus, but they never learned anything else. And after a while, they turned away. They didn't learn. And when I was there, I said, I'm refusing to teach self-help and all that. I will teach the Bible in whatever class I have. That's what I'm going to do. And uh, they were mad at me. They were mad at me. They threw me out because they said, all he ever wants to do is teach the Bible. I consider that a badge of honor. All right? The Bible is what we need to go study and understand. Here's this book inspired by God, and Peter will talk more about where it came from. Here's this book inspired by God. It's a message from God. It explains the human condition. It explains where we came from. It explains why we are like we are. It explains where we're going and how the world ends. And where else you got anything like it? It's unique and wonderful, and it has in it this life. And he says, so you're going to add to your life. You're going to make a specific choice. I'm going to learn. I'm going to understand. And what I'm going to understand is the Bible. And so we're going to put our, our nose to the grindstone, and we're going to spend time learning. Right. Now, think of your life. You've got a basic faith in God. You're going to clean your life up. And now you're going to start adding knowledge. You're going to start to learn from the Bible and shove it in everything you can get in there. And any way you can learn is good. I like books. I read a lot of books. I like books. And some of them... The best ones are real simple. My grandfather read a book uh, for years. Twice a day, he read this book. And I remember when I was a little kid picking it up and opening it, and it was in Norwegian. Of course, I couldn't read it in Norwegian. 
Well, recently I found that book translated into English, and I got it, and I love that book. That book teaches me every page. This old Norwegian wrote, and he had something special, and that's why I'm attracted to it, because it's knowledge that we need to know about Jesus. And so there's, he says, in your thinking about how you're going to live your life, I'm going to clean it up, have a basic faith, clean up my life, straighten it out, and then I'm going to start to learn. I'm going to add to my virtue knowledge. Verse 6, and to knowledge temperance. Temperance in the King James, uh, if you got a newer version, it might say self-control which is probably a better word, number four, self-control. So the point of building this life that we're talking about is so that I can have the reins on my life and hang on to the reins and control what happens in my life. You say, well, you can't control your life. Well, you can do an awful lot. You can do an awful lot. You can say to yourself, uh, look, uh, I know what's right. I'm learning what's right. And so I am going to take a hold of my life and control it. I'm going to get it under control. I'm going to control my mouth. That'll be the hardest thing. The Bible says that's the hardest thing to control. I'm going to control my thoughts. I'm not going to allow certain things to come into my Mine, I'm going to turn it off. I'm going to control it. And so you begin to hold the reins of your life and control your life and how it works out. That's really essential to things. And so that a person that's growing the way Peter's inviting us to grow has this uh, self-control. Their life is going in the direction that they choose. They're making choices. And the choices are good. And they're controlling uh, that by uh, diligence, he says. You get, you get serious about controlling your life so that it's going to accomplish something. The next one, uh, he says, to temperance add patience. Everybody likes that one, right? Patience or the ability to endure. The ability to endure patience. My mother always said, patience is a virtue. Possess it if you can. Seldom found in women and never found in men. <laughs> That's what my mother used to say. Patience is an important thing, he said, and it's going to require you to get it in your life. You're going to have to learn to endure things. Be patient with people. That can be hard, huh? Be patient with people. Be patient with life. Life has its ups and downs, and, and you know, I had four sick days in my entire working career until couple weeks ago when I was locked in my house for 10 days, all right? Uh, first time ever. 
And he said, what are you going to do about it? I don't like, well, I don't like it, no. But I've got to be patient. Go through it. Take it as it comes, all right? going to learn to be patient. And uh, you're patient with life. Life is, uh, nobody can write a map and say, here's where life is going. We're trying to use knowledge and self-control so that we don't misstep, make bad choices. But patience has got to come. And you're going to have to be patient with God. What? Why would I be patient with God? Because all these promises that he made, peace and joy and life and rest and, and, and future, all these promises he made are yours when you get there. When you get there. Not, I'm not talking about heaven, but peace comes when we know God and really deal with God as who he is. We get peace, and that comes. Be patient as it comes. And you'll read many times in the Bible where people were impatient with Jesus. They were not patient with Jesus. And we'll come across that very soon on Sunday morning. All right, so patience is an important thing. Uh, to knowledge, temperance, to temperance, patience, to patience, godliness. Uh, you say, well, what's, what's he mean, godliness? Um, I thought godliness was taking care of sin, getting it out of our lives, clean up your life. Is that godliness? Well, a little bit, but it's a little more than that. In your character and in your behavior, uh, there are things that should come out of our behavior and our character that people looking at us can say, this fellow has a higher life. This person lives by a larger plan. This person has a God-motivated goal in his life. And uh, there'd be a similarity. See, godliness is more than just you not sinning. Godliness is as a similarity between you and God. You say, what? I'm going to be like God? Well, you're going to look at life a newer way. Like I said, there's a higher life. And, and there's a uh, more noble choice in life. And people need to be able to look at you and say, you know, that person is living a life that's kind of higher than other people's. Not that he's a snob looking down. Not at all, but his goals and his plans and their purposes in life are much different than other people's. We can look at people with no purpose in life just to exist, as I mentioned earlier. But we want to be one of those people that displays a little bit something about God so that we can see uh, in a larger sense 
So godliness is there. And to godliness, verse 7, brotherly kindness. Um, there's to be a real concern and care for other Christians. This is a very specific thing he's saying here. Other Christians, people, and that's what the church is, is a gathering of people who believe. Other Christians, we are to be particularly concerned and, and caring for other Christians. We're in this together. We're gathered in this together. We have to work these things through. And so there's a kindness that we are to express to the people of God. Now, in my lifetime, I've been in places where they didn't practice that. They were grouchy, miserable, hard to get along with, and uh, it's just the way it was in church. I kind of grew up in that kind of atmosphere. I often, when I was young, said, I don't want this Christianity. These people are miserable. <laughs> All right, and so fortunately, my father and mother, my father particularly, was a happy-go-lucky guy. So every time I saw some miserable, nasty Christian who just soon bites your head off and look at you, I could always listen to my father singing <laughs> in the middle of the night, three o'clock in the morning. He's walking around singing. Uh, uh, whatever, you know, some hymn. He always sang the same line over and over. Onward, Christian soldiers. Onward, Christian soldiers. Onward, Christian soldiers. Over and over and over. But it was good because I had this happy guy near me. And no matter how miserable they got, I still had happy guy. Happy guy was good. And so... Uh, the experience of brotherly kindness and being good to each other is an important thing. He says, you've got to decide you're going to live that way and make a choice. And then he says, to brotherly kindness, we're going to add charity. Last one is charity. So you're kind to Christians. is a choice we make. And charity is love to all. all right? So we got to love the people around us. Jesus said what? Love your enemies. Do good to them that hurt you. Pray for them that despitefully use you. And so what's he telling us now? You're going to start with a basic faith. You believe in Jesus. You put your faith and confidence in him. Now clean up your life. Your choice. You make a choice. Clean up your life. Get rid of the habits and the things that have got to go. Get them out of there. And spend energy in your life learning. You need to get your head in the Bible. Any way that you can learn about God, you learn about God. Work at it. Use a lot of energy. That's something you do forever. You're going to do forever. All right? And... Get a hold of your life. Don't let your life be run by 
outside forces or this or that or the other thing or what somebody thinks uh, or what uh, somebody said. We don't do that. We control our life. We know where we're going. We got hold of the reins. We're controlling our life. And he says, be patient. Have the ability to endure. Because life will take you up and down. Be patient through it. Be kind to Christians and show love to all people. Now you got your life together. Those are the things he says you're responsible for yourself. You got to take care of these things. You got to learn. You got to get yourself under control. And and when you do that, he says, verse 8 For if these things be in you and abound, they make that you shall neither be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're going to get to know Jesus. Your life is going to become productive. Not complacent, but a well-rounded life. And you're going to get to know Jesus, and it transforms your life so that my life is well-rounded, I understand, I know God, and my life is useful. It's productive. It's helpful to people around us, and God can use you, uh, he says, and that's important. That's what you want for your life, so you be not be barren or unfruitful. Say, well, I know God, but I don't have my life together, and I really don't have any self-control. I haven't been learning much lately. Wow, where are you going with that? Verse 9, he that lacketh these things is blind. And cannot see afar off, hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You go backwards there. There was some point we asked God to forgive us. That is the best thing that ever happened to me. Best thing that ever happened to me. God forgave me. And I can never take it for granted. I can never say, oh yeah, it was something I did. I can't remember. No, 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 no. These are important things to remember that he's forgiven us, all right? And he says, uh, he can't see afar off. That is, we become narrow-minded. Unless we're going to sit down and put our lives together like he's telling you, you're going to become kind of a narrow, shallow person. And you come narrow and shallow, and he says, finally, you're blind. Remember Jesus, we talked about Sunday, Jesus saying that they were blind, couldn't see the obvious. And so he said, your diligence in putting your life together this way will make it so you're not blind, but so that you do see, you understand, you have comprehension and you see. And so Make sure you do that. Verse 10. Therefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. That's a good thing to say, isn't it? You shall never fall. It says, you want to live a Christian life that makes a difference. There's what you got to do. It's not a hard list. It's not an unreasonable list. It's something that we ought to be able to do and get our lives together, focus 
our, our thoughts, put ourselves together. And he says, if you do it, he says, your calling and election is sure. Or that is, I know what God wants me to do. God's put a call on my life. Here's the things that I need to work on and do my best, be diligent to do them. As I'm doing them, he said, we're going to grow and develop. My election is sure. God called you for a reason. He called you for a purpose. He's got something that you have to do. And I don't believe that there's anybody who's left out of that. And sometimes uh, it's praying. A little lady named Hazel Howard sat right in that pew right there. She prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. She prayed this church into existence. She prayed me into the pulpit. <laughs> uh, she prayed. And if you saw her, any of you remember her, I don't know if anybody remembers her. She could hardly walk. A little tiny little thing. And she staggered and she walked. Her speech was slurred. And uh, she had a birth defect. Uh, but boy, God had something for her to do. And when she did it, things happened. And it's true for all of us. You know, I always say we got gardens and we got lawns. And we got buildings, and so we got something for everybody to do. Everybody's got something to do. We got a kitchen, we got a, a choir, There's something for people to do. And so, always, there's a way for us to use this life and say, God, I know you called me, I'm working on it, I'm doing my part to work on it. Verse 11 is how he finishes up. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There you go. He says, so you're going to live this life? You're going to work at it? Be diligent about it? Try to get your life going in the right direction, do the things that he's advised us to do. And there's what, seven things, right? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. So it's not like there's a thousand things you gotta memorize, right? It's a seven things that you gotta think about. Self-control and patience, kindness and love, and uh, learning, cleaning up your act, having faith. Uh, there, there are things that you can work on. He says, so work on those things. And when you're saying, well, so I'm going to grow up and develop my life for what? He says, so that you'll have an abundant entry into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. We're going to go to heaven. And we're going to be rewarded for how we lived our life. And some people are going to go there. And Jesus said. We're going to take your life. And light a match to it. And some people. All they ever produce. Was wood, hay and stubble. And God's going to light it. And it's going to burn up and be gone. Man I don't want to be that person. I don't want to go to heaven. He said, let's see what you did. We'll touch a little flame to your life. Whoosh. I didn't do anything. Everything I did was wood, hay, and stubble. He says, well, there's people 
we're going to have precious gems. And the hotter you make them, the brighter they shine. He said. And so uh, some people, wood, hay, and stubble. Some people, gold, silver, precious gems, your life. And so he says, when you get there, you want to have an abundant entry. I want to walk into heaven and be a great big old room. Say, that's all your stuff. <laughs> people say to me, you don't take any pay. You betcha, because I'm putting it in that room up there. That's where it's going. I don't care about this here. This means nothing to me. That does. He says, see that you have an abundant entry. Make sure when you get there, there's things there. You say, well, here comes Eric. Here's, here's what he worked for. Here's what made a difference. And God never let anything slip. He kept a perfect set of records. And in those records, the reward will come. And I, that's when I want it. I don't care about now. I don't care if anybody gets to know me. I don't care about anything like that. I don't want to be famous. I want to be an East Shelby. <laughs> that's all the fame I want. But when I get to heaven, that's when we're going to cash in on it. So he says, uh, the stuff I'm telling you, it's your responsibility to work out. Boy, you're going to be rewarded for it when you get there. You're going to walk into heaven, and they're going to pour it out. Say, look what he did. <clears throat> well, there's some people there whose crowns are so big, they'll come down around my shoulders, I'm sure. Look at people like Billy Graham. Look at that life. Talk about, wow, what a life to spend and, and use for God over and over like he did. Right up till the very end, he did it. And uh, it's wonderful. My mother was a Christian because of Billy Graham. She went to a Billy Graham crusade in New York City and accepted the Lord. Listen, think of that. What that did for me. So... People are going to have wonderful things up there. You and I can have them too. We've got to work on it, though. We've got a responsibility on our behalf to do our part. All right, now we're going to go on more next week uh, as he talks about why he's writing the book. Pretty interesting. Why he's writing this book, why he feels moved to write this book. And then he's going to start talking about Jesus. Oh man, hang on. Nobody can talk about Jesus quite like Peter. So next week we'll go on. Thank you.